0: Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This week's podcast is on Ephesians chapter 2. I apologize for last week. It was a really big weekend for us. Our 24-year-old daughter was recognized by her church as having a pastoral gift, and so we really wanted to be there and to celebrate that. Ephesians chapter 2 has four subjects that I really want to draw our attention to, and I will only get through three of them today. Um, While I can easily do four, as I said previously, I want to keep this podcast short. Because these are about an introduction to subjects and an opportunity for us to think about what it is that it means to us. Um, and I have much confidence in you, listeners. I believe that you have more insight and you will ask much better questions than I can. But this is my attempt at beginning a conversation so that we can learn something more of Jesus. In the first part of Ephesians 2, Paul tells us the difference that is made by experiencing God's mercy. To make this clear to everyone reading his letter, he identifies three consequences of sin and three benefits of mercy. The three consequences of sin are found in verses 1, 2 and 3. In 1 it is we are dead because of our disobedience to our many sins. 2 verse 2, we obey the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And refuse to obey God. In the third and verse 3, we follow the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature and are subject to God's anger. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, verse 4, he loves us so much. Verse 5, he gives us life. In a verse 6, he seats us with him in heavenly realms. Paul wants to make the contrast. Mercy is not simply a cancelling of debt. It's not simply not getting what you deserve, but he wants to contrast it. We were made dead, but now in sin, but now in Christ we are made alive. We obeyed the devil. He gave us life we followed our passionate desires, but he seats us in the heavenly realms. Paul wants to make that contrast abundantly clear. St Basil said, through mercy to your neighbour, you resemble God. Mercy is not just an emotion. It is deliberately acting to reflect God's love. Who would others say you resemble by your mercy? The second topic that Paul picks up is grace. He wants to make sure that he lays a firm foundation of doing mercy first. One of the things that we can see in the church today is that there has been more of a focus on grace than on mercy. Mercy is an understanding of what we have been forgiven from. Grace is an understanding of what we have been raised to. We can't really understand what we are raised to, until we understand what that cost him. And so having laid the clear foundation of mercy, Paul goes on to grace. And that beautiful verse that we find, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Wanting to develop the understanding of the Ephesian church, Paul, having explained it, now goes on to talk about grace not as a contract as mercy is. But Paul wants to paint a really clear picture that grace is something we gain only as a gift because it is simply too costly. So precious is grace that when we receive it, it transforms us. As my good friend Ken tells me, we cannot encounter God and not be changed. Grace so transforms us that Paul is quick to point out that it's not something we can boast about or even take credit for in verses eight and nine. Then Paul summarizes in verse 10, what does a believer look like that has experienced mercy and grace? We've seen people that have experienced mercy They know that they're forgiven, but often there is not a joy to their faith. We see people that understand grace, but not mercy, and everything is about what they receive from God and not about an understanding of repentance. But when we understand both mercy and grace, we know that we are God's masterpiece. The word sometimes translated as workmanship can mislead us into thinking that we're a work in progress, a, a project lying around on God's workbench. But the word affirms that this is God's very best. The word "poema" is the word from which we get poetry. Robert Gilfillan wrote, poetry is living, sorry, poetry is truth living in beauty. It is because of God's truth in us, we are made beautiful. Isn't it a wonderful thought that we are God's poem? God's mercy and grace are not simply a recipe for deliverance and salvation. They are the active ingredients in making a masterpiece. Once Paul has laid a really clear foundation of Mercy and grace, he then wants to get to what is really on his heart. He wants that common understanding of mercy and grace to be there for everyone so that they can understand the next part. Verse 19 we, we read in the New Living Translation, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Paul wants to talk about unity, unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. To drive home this point, he uses a technique called a chiasm. A chiasm is based on the Greek letter for the X. It's when statements are made one way and then in reverse. A simple example of a chiasm is found in Matthew 23-12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes the Chesom has a different idea between two conflicting statements. An example of this is found in Amos 5.5. The first part is, but do not seek Bethel. The second part is, do not enter in Gilgal. And those are reflected in, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. So you get those two as opposites, but in the middle is, or cross over to Bathsheba. So it actually reads, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. What goes in the middle is what the author most wants to highlight. This was a technique that was used commonly by the Jews, and certainly for a Hebrew like Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, it was a device that he used to great effect. There is a, a very clear chism in Ephesians 2, and I want to go through it as A, B, C, D, E, with C being the central point. So if we read verse 12, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, talking to the Gentiles, verse 12. Contrast that with verse 19. You are citizens among with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's holy family. He starts with one statement and ends with the opposite. For Christ himself has brought peace to us and and then he brought this good news of peace to you. The central truth Is verse 16. So it reads, You were excluded from citizenship amongst the people of Israel, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's holy family. Notice how in verse 14 it's us, 17, it's you. Ephesians, Paul is writing almost to two groups. You can almost see him on one hand looking at one group of people and then looking at another. You can see that he is understanding that there are Gentiles and there are Jews. And he is wanting to make sure that they both understand together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if hostility in the kingdom of God really was put to death? All the verses are important, but it's that middle verse. Paul uses the verses on either side as a way of building and developing the key thought in the center. It's his takeaway, the thing that he wants you most to hear. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled. We have no enemy. This means no exclusion, no racism, no thinking one is superior to another. We are partners, joint heirs. Without living and reconciliation, we both lose and the effectiveness of the kingdom is compromised. There are a number of chasms in Ephesians. Do you think you can find any others? I want to leave it there and come back next week and examine the temple, because that's the next big subject that Paul raises. It's part of his going on from unity, but he's wanting to understand and develop the whole theme of what it means for us to be one in Christ. What does it look like as far as the church is concerned? How is it that we understand unity within a framework that makes sense to both the Jews and the Gentiles? Until next week, have a great time. God bless you joining the Cultivate podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivation at gmail.com. God bless.